Diving into the postseason of the 2018 Minor League Campaign, the Minor League Baseball Podcast returns for the first week of September. My name is Tyler Mond, Sam Dykstra is in New York City, and this is the show before the show, episode number 176. Hello, Sam. Hello, Tyler. It's good to, to have you back in Colorado, as far as that goes. <laughs> yeah, back, As if uh, it matters that much to A semi-normal to me, setting but... for the podcast these days. Yeah. But you are uh, you are skyping us from your your new house. Is that not correct? I am actually not today. There we're oh, uh, well, we're still course. doing work on the the house, and so I'm actually skyping you from the patio at my mom's house, which is it's lovely here today. It's like 72 degrees. It's fantastic. So I'm doing I'm doing it. This might be the first ever outdoor uh, show before the show podcast. There we go. Something. Yeah, it's kind of cool. It's kind of just cool imagine. Break. Yeah, rolling mountains behind you. The yeah, the they're in front of me actually. Okay, uh, well, we're westward facing in the backyard. So as people will hear later, all I think about in Colorado is just the mountains. So I imagine they're surrounding you in some way. They may (laughs) they're in front of you. They're to the right of you, to the left of you, behind you, all over the place. Yeah, Yeah. totally. Totally. That's how it goes. Um, But uh, yeah, I'll be over at the the house later. I'm having like furniture delivered. I got to paint this weekend. It's going to be it's exhausting. I'm not being a good millennial in that I bought a house, but uh, it's fun. It's fun. It's cool to get a chance to do some work on it. But uh, soon I will have a podcasting area set up, and the show before the show will sound better than ever. Um, I make no guarantees as to whether that's actually the case. <laughs> but uh, we'll see. And thanks for tuning in wherever you found us, episode 176, uh, our first playoff edition of the season. And uh, wherever you did find us, we appreciate it. You can give us a rating and a review and a subscription and uh, get in touch with the show as well, podcast at MILB.com. A little while later, uh, we are going to be hearing from Benjamin Hill, who is all done with all 159 minor league ballparks. Uh, Ben finally wrapped things up, and we didn't get a chance to see each other when he was in Colorado. His last two ballparks that he had not visited were the two minor league ballparks in the state of Colorado, and he saved those for last, Colorado Springs and Grand Junction checked off the list i was traveling back and ben was all over the place around here so we didn't get a chance to hook up but uh we'll talk in depth about his visit to colorado springs and to grand junction and about what it means to have checked off all 159 and more but 159 active ballparks in the minor leagues i think he said 172 total ballparks which means 13 that are no longer used in the minor leagues ben has also visited um, which is pretty incredible and as soon as he gets these under his belt going to be obsolete by the start of the 2019 season because we're going to have multiple new parks that have not been used uh in the minor leagues so ben will uh, just have to get back on the road and check those ones off as well um so with that we welcome you into this week's episode we'll talk with ben coming up here in a little bit uh, but we'll get stri- started as we do every week in the show before the show podcast with three strikes to cover the three most pressing issues in minor league baseball and uh first up strike one this week we're done with the 2018 regular season we have even playoffs that have wrapped up already in the 2018 season which is absurd but the Appalachian League is done Arizona League is done the Gulf Coast League is done we've already crossed off a handful of leagues Um, but Sam when you look back on 2018 how are you going to remember the 2018 season yeah so I think this is something that kind of really wrapped uh in or got set into the place here the last couple of weeks, um, you know, I was already going to remember this season as probably the the season in which we knew Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was going to be a superstar. Uh, that seemed pretty well set in my mind. Uh, but then the way, you know, September has kind of started here and in terms of September roster expansion, how news is broken in terms of that. I, I think just the, the taste I have right now and, you know, maybe this will change in a couple months, but it feels like this is going to be the season in which. Uh, how we view service time and how that's handled 
you know, between the majors and minor leagues and organizations hold, you know, handle their top prospects in terms of service time. It feels like this is going to be a tipping point. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. not getting called up to Toronto. In fact, heading to the Arizona Fall League. We'll talk about AFL rosters here in a little while. Uh, but the fact that he hit 381 this year, um, you know, between two of the highest levels in the Myers at AA New Hampshire, AAA Buffalo, uh, added in 20 homers led all of minor league baseball in both slugging percentage and OPS. This is a guy who should be in the major leagues. Um, you know, one of the best hitting talents since I've started here in 2012, uh, a generational talent in terms of minor league hitting. Uh, was really cool to see him this year. It was really cool to see him perform as well as he did being just 19 years old. He's not getting the call to the majors. Okay, so that's one guy. Um, and we've done that before. You know, Ronald Acuna Jr. last year, we went through this. Should he have been in Atlanta at the end of September? He wasn't. He got called up the next year. Chris Bryant was kind of that same way. Split his year between AA and AAA. Uh, was one of the minors' best hitters. I think he led the, the minor leagues in home runs in his last year in the minors. He, the next spring, doesn't win the job out of spring, gets called up the end of April. Okay, those were may have been like isolated incidents but now we're getting vlad we're getting aloy jimenez uh at triple a charlotte hits 355 with 12 homers and a 996 ops he was definitely looking uh major league ready he even wrote in the players tribune saying like chicago i want to see you i'm here i'm ready to go let's do this and you know rick Hahn, general manager saying you know he's not quite ready yet we we want him to be you know, defensively ready. There's still some questions about that. There really aren't. I'll, I'll come out and say that. Like, the the best thing for Aloy Jimenez to improve that defense is to play in the major leagues right now. Is to see what major league quality defense looks like. The bat's going to play right away. Okay, so those are two names. And then, strangely, the the Mets do the same thing with Peter Alonso, uh, who's the number 61 overall prospect in the game. You know, he ends up his last swing of the minor league season is a walk off home run at Triple A Las Vegas. Uh, I think that's something we teased last week. Tyler, that was your pick is to watch the Vegas feed for the last time. Yeah. Uh, get get the chance while you can. Alonzo ends up tied for the minor league lead in home runs. It's 36 between Vegas and Double A Binghamton. Uh, his last swing is is that 36th home run, which is a walk off homer. Uh, everybody gets to go nuts. The, the highlight was, it was really neat, um, you know, the guy did everything he could do. Like, let, let's be honest. Uh, he's a really good power hitting first baseman, arguably the top first base, pro first base prospect. He's already 23, uh, went through a little bit of a lost year last year in 2017, but was a second round pick in 2016. He's not in that same, you know, he is a top 100 prospect, but he's not in that same caliber of Vlad or Aloy in terms of, okay, this is a guy we, we need to protect long-term because if we're talking about six, seven years of, of uh, you know, service time with him in the majors, he's getting to the back end of his 20s, uh, which is a little bit post-prime for first-base prospects, let's be honest. Um, so, you know, I know the Mets have a crowded first-base situation right now. None of them are as hot-hitting right now as Peter Alonso. He seems so primed to get. So now we don't just have one really good prospect who's getting shut out. We don't have just two. We have three. Uh, and then Byron Buxton, who's not a prospect anymore, obviously, but the Twins straight out came and said... You know, this, this is somebody we want here for the long term. It doesn't make sense for us to call him up now from Rochester and to eat up some service time for absolutely nothing. 
I think this has to be addressed by the Players Association at some point. Uh, the cl collective bargaining agreement isn't up for a little while longer, so they don't exactly have the negotiation power right yet. Uh, it's not like it's going to be opened up. Um, but I think we're going to look back on this season as the tipping point in this. It wasn't isolated incidents anymore. It's very clearly teams trying to take advantage of. They're not even loopholes. They're in there to, you know, help teams control players for longer. Uh, it doesn't help the players. It doesn't help the game because it keeps, you know, the right now we should be seeing the 35 to 40 best players in an organization up on the major league team and that's certainly not the case in toronto it's certainly not the case in chicago and it's not the case in, in queens right now uh because guerrero jimenez and alonzo aren't in the majors um so you know there were a lot of really fun stories this year uh that will also stay in my mind you know alex kirloff coming off tommy john surgery leading the minors in extra base hits is really cool um you know michael kopech figuring out his control issues at the end, working his way to a major league, uh, you know, debut was really neat. Uh, Vlad's chase for 400 is something that, you know, I'm going to, it's going to be tough for me to forget that. Um, so stuff like that. But you know, when I look back at how his history going to remember this season, I think it's going to be, as the, you know, the season where they decided, you know, this is where something needs to change, whether it's, this offseason, whether it's two years from now, three years from now, uh, this will be something that we circle in terms of how service time is dealt with, how prospects are handled, and you know how willing players are to go to bat for their fellow players in this way. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's certainly going to be the lasting legacy from this season, and I'm not smart enough to figure out how it's going to play out going forward, but in this era of super prospects, this is an issue that needs to be addressed, and uh, I mean, there's certainly a coming labor discussion in Major League Baseball that's going to involve a whole lot more than this between the Players Union and the owners, but... Um, going to be interesting to see what the legacy is of Vlad and of Eloy and even of you know in recent years of Chris Bryant and guys like that and what it's going to mean for prospects going forward uh, beyond 2018 yeah and one thing we should add is that part of the problem here is minor leaguers until they sign a deal to join the 40-man roster aren't part of the players union right uh, so, so they're not technically protected in that way um, so in terms of service time you know the if the players union were to go to bat for Vlad Guerrero, they would be going to bat for a non-union member right now. Yeah. Um, Which is you know, it does a strange it, dynamic. Right. So once they do sign that, you know, once Vlad becomes a major leader, let's say April 25th next year, um, you know, he all of a sudden is a union member who has been hurt by the service time issue. Uh, and that's something I think that they should be proactive about and not wait until they're major leaguers. Um, but again, I, I don't think I'm not predicting that something big is going to happen this offseason. I just think next labor negotiations or if any big labor news comes out the next couple of years, it, this is going to be the time that really tip the scales uh, towards that movement. Strike two this week. Uh, we are into the playoffs, as we noted, in uh, all of our leagues, with the exception of the ones that have wrapped up for 2018 already. And uh, there are some interesting prospect-laden rosters. Um, and as far as individual prospects playing in the postseason, Sam, for strike two, who do you think would benefit most from a good run in the postseason? Yeah, so I'm actually going to choose two Fresno Grizzlies for this one. Um, both for, for differing reasons. Well, kind of the same reason, actually, I guess. Uh, one is is Kyle Tucker, uh, who I don't think he has to prove his major league case anymore by any means. After he got sent down 
from Houston to Fresno uh, over his last 11 games of the season. He went 22 for 44, which is exactly 500, and hit seven homers in those 11 games. Went on an absolute tear. And, you know, that that's the Kyle Tucker we – now, certainly not to that level, but that's the Kyle Tucker we knew. You know, he has one of the sweetest left-handed swings in the game right now, uh, at least in the minors. And, he, you know, he obviously went through some rough patches during his times with Houston. He had batted 154 over 20 games. Not great, obviously. Uh, but I th- really think he's somebody who should be pushing for Houston's postseason roster. Um, so now he's going through his own postseason. You know, the Astros, they're not in a rush to call him up. Uh, they would rather him, you know, get his regular at-bats with Fresno. That's fine. I have nothing wrong with that. As long as he's playing every day and staying hot and keeping up this hot bat, if he continues to have a hot postseason, okay, he's going to demand at bats when he get, eventually gets called back up to the Astros. So if he can keep this going, uh, and you know maybe he gets some looks here in September once he gets that call, I really think he has a chance to push for that postseason roster. I would love to see him get that chance uh, based on how hot he is and based on how what his potential is. I mean, he finished the year with 24 homers and 20 stolen bases. Uh, obviously, those seven homers at the end helped push him into that 2020 club. Um, but, you know, he's got one of the best power-speed combinations. Uh, I would hate for him to be defined by his major league time alone because that is such a small sample he's only gotten 52 at bats and it's sporadic playing time uh so if he were to have a really strong postseason that would only help build his case to get another you know postseason look come october the other one i have in that same team is miles straw uh if anybody read my tool shed that came out on wednesday that kind of highlighted some numbers that are going to be memorable for us you know going forward i mentioned vlad's 381 average uh, but miles straw ended up leading all of the minors this year with 70 stolen bases uh which is just a crazy number they were evenly split 35 at fresno 35 at double a corpus christi uh i felt like he kind of did so quietly he, usually these super fast prospects your billy hamilton's people like that are somebody we're talking about a lot uh straw that wasn't quite the case because he is a little bit of a light hitter. Uh, he batted 257 in his 66 games at Fresno. Did not hit a home run in the PCL, which is pretty notable. He's kind of a slap hitter. He likes to go the opposite way. Likes to keep the ball on the ground and, and take advantage of his speed. Um, you know, that's not going to result in high averages or OBPs necessarily. But he's somebody who, with a, another strong postseason run for Fresno, could be playing his way onto a roster as you know, the, the key pinch running guy. I mean, there there aren't that many people in the game right now that are faster than Miles Straw. And the fact that he, I think he went 70 for 79 on the base paths this year. Um, so he this isn't just a guy who's always running and he's going to be caught sometimes, but uh, he's a little overeager. He's very efficient on the base paths. That's exactly what every playoff bound team is looking for. We saw... I think just last week, Quentin Berry got signed by the Yankees to a minor league deal. Uh, he's currently with Scranton Booksbury, basically for that very role. I mean, he has done this before with the Red Sox, a couple other clubs, um, being the pinch runner extraordinaire. And you know, it, what if you already have that guy in your system? A mile straw could be that. Now, maybe the Astros would prefer Tony Kemp, who's already on the major league roster to do that. That's totally fine. But Miles Straw has a chance to prove himself that he is major league ready, uh, that he can do a little bit more with the bat. He actually got the game-winning hit uh, for the Fresno Grizzlies in game one of the PCL semis the other night, uh, helped them get a 
Olid uh, with an RBI single in the 10th inning. Only went one for five in that game, but still, you know, coming up with a hit in a big spot is only going to help him. Uh, so he's got a real chance here to, to prove himself. Uh, so I'll be looking at Tucker and Straw. Tucker's definitely going up. Straw yet is not on the 40-man. Um, so he would have to be added in that way to, to get the call. But speed plays everywhere, and he's got a real shot, I think, here in the next couple weeks. Um, I'm going to go with a Kyle as well. Kyle Lewis of the Arkansas Travelers, who last night homered and scored the eventual game-winning run uh, for that team in the opener of their Texas League semifinal series. But Kyle Lewis, late start to the season, fared well with Class A advanced Modesto, 263, 303, 429, and 49 games. But jumping up to Arkansas, 37 games in double A, 220, Time is certainly still on Kyle Lewis's side. He's only 23 years old, but was a first-round pick back in 2016. He still only played 165 career minor league games. And I think if Kyle Lewis had one of those breakout postseasons, sort of like what we saw, I mean, he was already a, an uber prospect, but really capitalized on it in the playoffs, also in the Mariners organization when Tyler O'Neill really blew up for Jackson a couple of years ago and led that team to a, a, a league championship in the Southern League. Um, now, Kyle Lewis, I think, being the guy who is sort of the next – big prospect position player talent in that system if he can stay healthy and if he can put it all together I think being able to put his stamp on uh, a postseason performance like Tyler O'Neill did a few years ago would go a long way for Kyle Lewis so keep an eye on him a big game one for him uh, with a team that is now out in front in their Texas League semifinal series Uh, strike three this week Sam, as you noted, uh, the roster is already announced for the Arizona Fall League, and Vlad Guerrero is among the players, top prospects headed to the Arizona Fall League. Forrest Whitley, the right-handed pitching prospect in the Houston Astros organization, will join him there. 17 total top 100 prospects. What stands out most about the AFL's uh, look for its six teams so far through the, the initial offering in 2018? A lot of those guys won't be on the roster when we get to opening day. It's just kind of how it shakes out with the AFL. But what stands out most to you? Yeah, so um, I think it is interesting that Vlad Jr. is going to be there. I mean, I I said this on the day. um, I hope people flock to see Vlad Jr. in the same way that they flocked to see Tebow uh, two years ago when he was in the Arizona Fall League. Um, You know, Tebow was kind of an oddity. We didn't know what he was going to be yet as a baseball player, and I get that. And that was the first chance to see him on a a baseball diamond, and and people flocked. I mean, you were there, Tyler, right? Like, Tebow games were much better attended than very different energy right and so with vlad jr you're not going to see this type of hitter for a long time in the arizona fall league um put aside the fact that you know i personally don't think he should be there i think he should be in the major leagues um you know he is going to be the best hitter there day one uh he's probably going to push for winning a a fall league batting title if he's there long enough if the Jays allow him to stay long enough to qualify in those standards. I mean, he's going to be the favorite to lead the league in in pretty much every offensive category. Uh, So that's really interesting. The Mets did the same thing with Peter Alonso. Uh, While we're all clamoring for him to be in the majors, they sent him there primarily to work on defense. I've seen his defense. I know it needs work. Um, Again, I would rather him get that work here in September than in October and November in the fall league, but that's fine. Uh, He'll probably enter the league as the favorite to win in home runs if, if he's there long enough um so those two guys will, i'll definitely be keeping my eye on uh if there's a roster that i really like it's uh scottsdale which is going to have alonzo along with fellow mets prospect andres jimenez taylor trammell uh who was the mvp of this year's uh futures game 
has some really good speed, uh, can make a lot of really good defensive plays, but also, as he showed in the Futures game, his pop is kind of increasing. He missed a little bit of time this year, uh, but I think this could be a little more of a sustained coming out party than just the one exhibition game was in, in Washington in July. Uh, also, Sixto Sanchez on that roster. He's dealt with some injuries this year, um, but his stuff, when healthy, is some of the more elite uh, you know, just arsenal that you're going to see um, between he, at, he shows really, really good velocity, um, also shows some really good breaking pitches. Uh, and his control is some of the best that I've seen in the, in the lower minors. I, I'm going to be really interested to see how he develops against that, against more advanced hitters in the fall league. Uh, I hope he gets plenty of time. He only threw 46 and two-thirds innings this year at Class A advanced Clearwater. So I would imagine he's going to have lots of opportunities to make up for that. Um, so that that should be a really fun team to watch there in Scottsdale. Uh, but, you know, you look up and down these rosters, um, you know, Glendale will have Luis Robert, uh, Kavert Ruiz, Esteban Floreal, uh, Salt River has Carter Keeboom, John Duplantier, Monte Harrison. Peoria has Keston Hyura and Christian Pache. Uh, I think Pache will be really, really fun to watch. I hope the more people watch him, they see how elite his defensive tool is. Um, and so I think that'll be really cool. And Mesa has Michael Chavis. Um, I should also add to that Salt River roster because it was, he was a little bit of a late ad, but Brendan Rogers, who I think some people may have wanted to see join the Rockies uh, in September, isn't going to quite get there. Didn't push there in the same way others did at AAA, um, but he will get his chance at the Fall League. So that Salt River uh, infield with Keyboom and Rogers will be really neat. I'll be interested to see how they kind of work out whether both play at shortstop, whether one of them moves over to second base. I mean, they both have that on their ledger. Uh, so, you know, check out the, the site for the, those stories. Um, also, uh, you know, we talked about Vlad Jr. He'll be reunited with Bo Bichette, which will be really cool. Also, Kevin Vigio uh, coming off a real strong 2020 season at AA New Hampshire will be there. That trio, it's, it's one of the, those situations where I get excited to see them play together, except they did that already this year at New Hampshire and it was really fun to watch them. So to see them grow again uh, together will be really neat um, down there in Arizona. So we'll talk about this more, the closer the fall league gets, but the fact that we have real rosters now and we'll get to see uh, who's going down there is a little bit of a preview of the excitement to come. So that is three strikes for episode number 176 of the show before the show podcast coming up. We're going to go to uh, the phone line to talk to Benjamin Hill, who is taking a, a well-needed half day off today and getting some rest after traveling for his final two stops on the minor league baseball ballpark tour. That has been Benjamin Hill's uh, opus over the last several years. Benjamin Hill joins the show next. It's a historic uh, interview segment this week with Benjamin Hill, who is our one and only guest because Ben has completed a, uh, a quest that maybe nobody else on the planet has completed, uh, certainly not in the way that Ben has done it. 159 ballparks completed for Benjamin Hill, who has now seen every single park in minor league baseball, and then some, uh, because there are parks that Ben has seen that are no longer part of the minor leagues. And we welcome Ben in to talk about his final two, which came in the Centennial State last week, uh, earlier this week, I guess. Um, and uh, Ben, welcome. Congratulations. One fifty. All come all wrapped up. Yeah, I did it. Been everywhere. It's uh, it's been a burn. It's been a Bernie. It's been a journey, uh, not a Bernie. I don't know anyone named Bernie. <laughs> 
Well, it could be a Bernie too. Um, well, let's talk about first. We'll we'll cover your last two. Colorado Springs and Grand Junction were your last two, um, and uh, we didn't get to run into each other in the state where I live because I was traveling back, and you had gotten in and went down to the Springs and got to check out the last homestand for the AAA Colorado Springs Sky Sox. Um, there will be a rookie level team in the Pioneer League in Colorado Springs next year, but you see the last AAA games um, in Colorado Springs as the Sky Sox wrap things up uh, at Security Service Field, and then over to what will be a future league mate of Colorado Springs in Grand Junction, the Grand Junction Rockies. Um, by next year, you'll have to come back because there will be a team in Pueblo, so you'll have to add a, a new a new stadium to the list. But um, before we get to that, let's start talking about Colorado Springs. Um, a, a ballpark that, as far as AAA goes, um, especially in the Pacific Coast League, doesn't have some of the bells and whistles, but it's hosted minor league baseball for a long time, and you got a chance to check out um, one of the most beautiful settings of minor league baseball in Colorado Springs. But tell us about um, what it was like getting a chance to check out kind of a weird series, I would imagine, with the Sky Sox, where you're sort of saying goodbye, but they were also playing for a playoff berth. It was an interesting weekend. It really was an interesting weekend. I mean, putting aside, you know, me completing my own kind of personal milestone journey, then to be in Colorado Springs with everything you just said with them ending uh, AAA uh, after, you know, about three decades of being a AAA club, you know, and especially talking to people with the club, you know, it seemed like kind of the writing has been on the wall for a little while after they lost their, you know, Colorado Rockies affiliation, uh, because once the Rockies, you know, Colorado's team didn't want to be in Colorado Springs. It kind of showed how much um, that that was not an optimal AAA location uh, for travel reasons, for altitude reasons. Uh, the ballpark itself was a little older. Um, so I think this move makes sense uh, overall. And in fact, uh, Branch Rickey III, uh, president of the PCL, was in attendance and, you know, he told me about as much. And you know, try to explain why this era was ending, you know, from a league-wide uh, perspective. And then it wasn't just about saying goodbye. I get there, well, I got into Colorado Springs on Saturday night, and I'm there for the games on Sunday and Monday. At that point, and, and, and um, the Oklahoma City Redhawks uh, were playing the Colorado Springs Sky Sox in these games. At that point, the Sky Sox, the magic number was one. And they were playing a completion of a suspended game on Sunday, which was tied 4-4 after six innings and only a seven-inning game because it was a uh, previously scheduled doubleheader. That was followed by a regular game, uh, again, uh, just uh, a nine-inning game. Then Monday was going to be either a normal game or a doubleheader if needed if the Sky Sox hadn't clinched. So that's so minor league baseball, all these scenarios there going on all at once. But long story short, the Sky Sox lost the completion of the suspended game on Sunday, lost the regular scheduled game, and got swept in the doubleheader on Monday, and therefore lost the division and had their entire AAA history end with losing four games in hardly a 24-hour span. And uh, there you go. So long, Colorado Springs Sky Sox. It was certainly not the ending that people wanted. And then when the game ended, you know, the team, to kind of commemorate – the transition to uh, going to the Pioneer League next year and their current name, the team contest, they still had a party. And it was pretty creative, maybe not in the best atmosphere uh, for a party after losing four games like that, but it's minor league baseball. People get over defeat uh, a lot quicker in minor league baseball than they do in the majors. So they had this party with uh, where they're serving Rocky Mountain Oysters for free because that's one of the team names. They were um, potential team names uh, for next year. They were showing Top Gun on the video board because one of the potential team names is the Throttle Jockeys. 
they set up camping chairs and a fire pit on the base paths because one of the team names is Happy Campers. Uh, they had a petting zoo because one of the team is, uh, team names is uh, Lamb Chops, which is kind of weird. You don't want to look at these animals and think about them being food, but that's cool. <laughs> it was really a creative <laughs> uh, creative thing all, all over the place. And then there's one other team name. Uh, the punchy tower. You can tell us about these. The Colorado thing. The punchy pikas. I mean, what, what's going on with that? Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm not really sure what the uh, the whole connection is there. Um, the pikas are. You know, we've been over the last uh, several. Uh, not even years, I guess now the last decade, we've been treated to these kind of crazy names um, in minor league baseball as contenders. Punchy Pikas was a thing that I had to look up, but I guess it's an animal that lives um, on Pikes Peak, um, which is right outside of Colorado Springs and uh, was the place where America the Beautiful was written and is kind of one of the landmarks. Um, but I don't even really know what exactly a pika is. I think it's like a rodent, but it barks, I guess. Um, so I, it's some of those things that I think I've seen a million times going camping and stuff, and I had no idea what the name was. But, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't think that there would be an easy way to incorporate that really like into the – you couldn't really have a petting zoo of pikas. No, I think they had an organization that had some pika connection somehow, some sort of pika awareness organization who I unfortunately didn't come across. But – uh, big picture. That's the great thing about minor league baseball is how much you learn. You know, I didn't I didn't know what a nutria was until uh, you know New Orleans Zephyrs and now Baby Cakes. You know, had a nutria for a man, and that's a large one. So we're learning all together here through minor league baseball about a lesser known species of rodents. Um, but anyway, it was a really interesting time in Colorado Springs. Um, obviously, based on everything I was just saying, a lot going on, a lot to digest, a lot to process. Um, I still have a story to write, which I'll do so in the near future, just kind of trying to summarize all that at the end of the AAA era in Colorado Springs. And I really do think, you know, the fan base, I think, right now is skeptical, and there's that kind of sting of going from AAA to rookie ball and all that. But, you know, I think also in talking to the staff, you get a sense of optimism that now they can fully embrace uh, the more goofy, irreverent branding that is so prevalent in minor league baseball. And, you know, just as crucially or even more crucially, not have to operate in Colorado Colorado in April or May when it can still be really cold and hard to get people in the ballpark. Now they can just be open from mid-June to, to Labor Day, more or less. Um, and those times you make your money anyway. So I think there's a lot of optimism there. And there is precedent when you look at, um, you know, Spokane, uh, Vancouver, Markets like that who went from being underperforming AAA franchises in the past to now top-level short-season franchises. So um, I think Colorado Springs are going to you know, do their best to follow that template. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the fans a little bit. What was your sense of you know just what the community has a feel about moving from a AAA team to a rookie-level team? Um, you know, that's in one sense that's view a view of your market, right? It's you're no longer viable AAA market, and you get dropped all the way down four or five levels uh, but also security service field is uh, according to what i just looked up the capacity is 8500 that's much bigger than you know another rookie level team in say the appy league or elsewhere in the pioneer league um so what were the fans kind of reacting to in terms of that being the last you know weekend series or last four game stretch uh in triple a history around there um well kind of like i said before you know it's kind of funny to see this epic collapse and definitely see some fans that were disappointed, but not really feel like 
And like, it seemed like most people weren't that invested um, in terms of, oh my goodness, we just blew it. Um, so I do think there's that typical, and this is not just specific to Colorado Springs, but minor league baseball, that typical feeling that, uh, you know, you're there to have fun more than to, you know, live and die with every out and every game result. So I think everyone's going to be okay. Big picture. I know there's some of the hard, more hardcore fans are disappointed about seeing uh, a level of play just in terms of product on the field that won't be as good. But what I really picked up on, and this is not putting anyone down, um, it's just a kind of people not understanding uh, what rookie ball is going to be, uh, nor what uh, you know minor league baseball branding is right now. So I think as you always see with name the team contests and just whether it's a new market or a market where um, the day-to-day situation on the ground is changing, you just see the fans not quite understanding. So I think right now there's like, oh, I don't know, I'm gonna you know wait to renew my season tickets and see what this is, or I'm not gonna go to a game with this embarrassing name. But I think at the end of the day, um, everything's going to be fine. And that once people go to a game, say, hey, this is still the same experience that I enjoyed in the past, but now it's a little more vibrant and fun and certainly warmer. And um, and certainly the, the front office staff, I think, is really raring to go to transition uh, to this new this whole new reality and, uh, you know, take advantage of being a bigger market for a rookie level team and having a bigger ballpark. And, uh, that just means you can fit more people in the ballpark. And I think for the most part, um, you know, that's a good thing for them and, uh, their position to do really well at a rookie level basis. I'll be very fascinated to see how the name change goes over because Colorado Springs is a, a really interesting market. It is an extremely conservative market. And uh, if they if they go with something crazy, I'll be really interested to see um, what the response is because I think it's going to be more than just the standard. This is ridiculous. I'm not coming. So uh, we'll see how that goes over the next few months when they announce uh, what the eventual name will be. Um, before we move on to uh, to Grand Junction, I got to ask about you stopped at the B&B Cafe in Castle Rock and had breakfast, and I'm very jealous. Did you have a sit – well – I guess the the big question about the B&B Cafe, did you see the bullet holes in the ceiling? That's the thing that everybody talks about there. Wow, I did not. And to be honest, I didn't go to the B&B Cafe based on any prior knowledge. Oh, okay. I was, uh, it just worked out. I was, you know, first of all, big picture, and um, Tyler, I imagine you know this, is, you know, the drive from Colorado Springs to Grand Junction is incredible. <laughs> it is yeah. one of the best. Uh, in all my travels. Um, and so I get to Castle Rock, and it's pretty early in the drive. And, uh, you know, I'm hungry. I need to eat. I'd actually gotten up, especially by my standards, on the road really early at about 6 a.m. And uh, went to Garden of the Gods, in, you know, right in Colorado Springs or right outside of it. Just beautiful, natural landmark and uh, a lot to take in. And then I'm driving. And, uh, I don't know what to do. And I'm like, you know, when I'm on the road, I'm always thinking like, I just got to keep moving, got to keep moving, not too much time to think. So I saw a waffle house on an exit sign and I was like, Oh, that'll work. But then I get off the exit and I don't see a sign in terms of which direction the waffle house is. And then the castle rock downtown was just to my left. So I'm like, all right, I'll just drive through this downtown. Then I saw B B and B cafe. And I was like, cool, this looks like a real spot with some charm. And I sat at the counter and uh, they had a great big sprawling menu. I got steak and eggs. Um, and it was just a great place to stop, which brings me to the fact that I didn't know anything about the place. And no, I did not know that there were bullet holes in the ceiling. Yeah. So I think uh, 
Yeah, I'd like to hear about this. If you find uh, yourself in Colorado Springs, or in, uh, or in, I guess, in Colorado Springs, that works because it's not that far of a drive. But if you find yourself in Castle Rock, do what Ben did and just swing by the B&B Cafe. They have amazing breakfast. They have terrific cinnamon rolls. But apparently back in, like, the 30s or 40s, it's right across the street from the courthouse uh, for Douglas County. And there was, like, a, like a, a, an escaped criminal of some kind was being transported to the county jail, and he escaped, and then he got caught in a shootout with police in the B&B cafe in like 1936 or something like that and there are still bullet holes in the tin roof at the B&B cafe there's a tin ceiling inside the diner and that's like one of the things that's like on the menu like the history of the restaurant but I remember when I was a kid we used to go there for breakfast every once in a while with my dad and I was just endlessly fascinated by that so if you ever find yourself there go crush some steak and eggs because I'm assuming it was delicious now you know a little uh, a little nerdy history thing as well. Um, and that drive, like Ben said, is incredible. And Ben got a chance to go uh, on I-70 all the way west, pass through Glenwood Springs, and then you uh, you cross onto the western slope and Grand Junction and Saplesio Field, the home of the Grand Junction Rockies. It's a really unique and interesting minor league environment because there is a stunning amount of baseball history in Grand Junction. They host the, the Junior College World Series. The NJCAA hosts the World Series at the home of the Grand Junction Rockies every year at Saplesio Field. But there's a a lot of baseball background in Grand Junction which seems like probably kind of a cool place to end um, your ballpark journey with 159 ballparks ending at a place that has a lot of minor league baseball history but has just a lot of baseball history outside of that too yeah you know it wasn't the plan to end there or to end with my final trip in Colorado it's just the way things worked out uh, logistically after years and years of doing this and um so I was really excited to see Grand Junction for myself, and it is interesting. Uh, Ecclesio Field, um, you know, was a pre-existing large facility that that a minor league team could just slot right into, which you obviously don't see very often. There's not too many ballparks around the country uh, that just are waiting for a minor league team to potentially move in and you know function successfully. So it's definitely a unique environment there. And like you said, they host ton- they host like four different high schools. And Tyler, like you said, most notably the JUCO series. Uh, and then there's a football field right into it. So the press box, this massive press box, uh, there's actually four. First of all, there's four levels in this ballpark if you yeah. get in the elevator, which you do not see at many ballparks, even AAA, it's rare, let alone rookie ball. So this massive press box structure on the first base side actually functions for both the baseball field and the football field. It's there's brilliant. a long hallway all the way down. Yes, yeah, so this long hallway goes all the way down. All the rooms on the right look out onto the baseball field, and all the rooms on the left look out onto the football field. And that's why you have the unorthodox location of down the line as opposed to just behind home plate. There is a press box behind home plate that is no longer in use, just a very small, traditional little press box at the top behind home plate, which is now basically a storage area. But you have a really unique uh, press box situation, uh, which also has a huge like you know party hospitality room. And uh, so a lot of room to move at that ballpark, uh, despite it being a rookie level facility. Yeah, it's a really cool setup. Stoker Stadium, the football stadium on the one side, and then Saplesio Field on the other side. And that giant press box um, gives kind of a weird vantage point for like a broadcast. Um, But it's cool because of the way the stands are set up underneath it. And there's a very dedicated, loyal fan base in Grand Junction. Most of the season ticket holders are right underneath it in the the actual like permanent seats, not in the the benches, the bleachers that are around the rest of the ballpark. Um, But one thing that surprised me when I went to Grand Junction for the first time a few years ago, there's some really, really good 
food selections in Grand Junction. I know, um, I think you got a chance to try out the Huckleberry ice cream. You also, and I'm very jealous of this, you ended up uh, in Palisade, Colorado, right in the heart of Palisade peach season, which is like a legendary part of time. It's like that Seinfeld episode with the Mackinac peaches. The Palisade peaches like are that in Colorado, where when the Palisade peaches come in, people freak out and they buy them in bulk and freeze them for the rest of the year. But what, uh, what all did you get to try and what did your designated eater get to try in Grand Junction? Yeah, well, there were no peaches. Well, actually, correction. Uh, there actually were peaches at the ballpark uh, because the, the team is so close to Palisade, which is known for the peaches. And and when I stopped at Palisade, you know, I don't eat really many peaches in my day-to-day life, but I had to do it because it was, uh, you know, when in Rome sort of thing. Uh, I went to a place, McLean Farms, uh, with the, the two nicest women in, in the world. Well, that's hyperbole, but they're very nice women uh, working there, and it was just such a friendly atmosphere. And they had this really, really old cash register uh, when I bought, you know, I bought a couple peaches and a few other things. And I was like, how old is that cash register? And the woman was like, it turns 100 on next July 9th. So, you know, such a cool. Oh, uh, the cash register has its own birthday. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow, like, what are you going to do to celebrate this cash register's, uh, you know, 100th birthday? That's a milestone. But anyway, that was a cool stop. Uh, the, the Grand Junction Rockies, um, every Tuesday, and I happen to be there on a Tuesday, the last home game of the season have a uh, a local orchard come out and sell at the game. So there was a, a woman selling peaches at the game, uh, you know, by the box, which is not something you can get at a mile ballpark very often. Um, but in terms of the food, yeah, I had my designated eater, uh, Leanna Louie. Uh, shout out to her because she made a hat that said Ben Everywhere on it and uh, gave it to me as a present uh, at the game. Um, there's a lot of different food for, again, a small ballpark. Um, also, a uh what was it called a rocky's ricky a gin drink <laughs> which is welcher grape juice and uh no it was crush it was crush grape juice or grape soda with gin so if you want like a purple drink at the ballpark uh you can get it there Caesar. um then the wiley yeah exactly uh then the wiley burger uh she got to try out which is no one really seems to know why i would call the wiley burger but it has to be a wiley coyote reference because their mascot is a coyote um but this burger has a split polish sausage polish polish sausage and uh, pulled pork and barbecue sauce supremely messy um the rock nachos you know rock for rockies had all sorts of toppings because you get them to stand that's mexican themed that has all like the standard taco and burrito toppings so you can really customize that um and the ice cream, yes, you can get Huckleberry. It works well with the Rockies' purple colors and certainly not nothing I'd seen at a ballpark before. And you get this at a stand where the sign just says $1 ice cream, and they literally have $1 ice cream every day of the year. So uh, naturally it's one of their best sellers when you get it for a year. And they were out of helmets, but they said that uh, if they hadn't been out of helmets, then even in a helmet, it's a dollar. So, you know, respect to that great ice cream deal. And, uh, you know, you can get some unique things. You can get some uh, gin and grape soda to start things off and end your night with some huckleberry ice cream. Um, by the way, just before I let Sam jump in, since I've just completely hijacked this, uh, this interview, but the easiest by far easiest food identity in minor league baseball that has somehow not been done yet is the peaches for the grand junction Rockies. You could call yourselves the grand Valley peaches. That one's free. It's fantastic. <laughs> and it'd be easy and you would sell so much merchandise. And there you go. I'll let you have that one. Monford family, Sam, take it away. 
Well, wouldn't that also work well with the Rockford peaches? Right, exactly. That's the yeah, thing. Like, so it's a, the peaches thing has already been done. So you could just, you know, you're paying homage to baseball history and you're capitalizing on your most famous local food. It's a twofer. It's a two for one. Something a against play, and, if you will. Yeah, and I, I mean, this is a very Ben and Tyler segment. Like, don't <laughs> worry about me, like, sitting in the background for this. It, mine would be like, so about those mountains, huh? What about those mountains? That's That's what that whole state is, right? Sam and I checked out the mountains recently. Sam got to check yeah. out the mountains. The whole podcast right. has gotten to check out the mountains this year. That's pretty cool. Right. So you guys can at, talk about much more specific things than I, I could touch on in Grand Junction. But uh, Ben, let, let's pivot now to the fact that Grand Junction was 159. What was that feeling like that night going into it, knowing that, you know, this was the last one on the checklist for now? You know, we know there will be a bunch of new parks added to it next year. Um, but having completed the set what was it just like walking around a park I, I imagine this was a little different feeling uh from your normal ballpark experience in that way yeah you know i, I went in the season with the whole ben everywhere theme um in this job you know i started part-time in 2005 you know, never had a template and um a lot of sort of making it up as i go along and all the sort of you know, a lot of benefit to that, but all the stress and anxiety that comes with this. And, you know, I, I never had a master plan and it kind of shocks me. I've been doing it this long and this is, you know, what I really devoted my career to. And uh, because it's not a job that really exists, had existed, you know, I, I haven't had any really built in milestones. So this one meant a lot to me because it, it gave me a chance for kind of the first time to not just say I'm doing this, but to say like, here's what I've done. I did it every single active affiliated minor league team you look on the you know milb.com tickets map you see every little every little team there every little pin on the map i I can say i've been there which is it does mean a lot to me so during the game itself you know for a lot of the time you know i knew i'd think about it later but i was just in it you know and i was just doing what i always do and uh it went really fast between meeting with the designated eater and getting a tour of the ballpark and doing some interviews and uh, X, Y, and Z. And uh, the fact that the ballpark, you know, doesn't have an open concourse, I was barely watching the game. And it wasn't until literally the ninth inning that I just went out there and sat down and watched the final, like, two outs of the game. And then it was like, oh, my goodness, this game's over. My travels for 2018 are over. I've finally been to every place. And it all hit pretty hard, as I kind of knew it would be. And, uh, you know, I was feeling kind of emotional. And, uh, you know, I put up a message. I put it on Twitter later. Um, you know, instead of doing the typical ballpark joke, I just tried to explain kind of how I felt upon reaching the, reaching the milestone. If you watch that video, you can see that I was pretty emotional. And uh, went back to the hotel and did a little bit of work, but I just couldn't focus at all. And I was just sitting in the hotel room like, man, wow. <laughs> like, you did it, man. And, uh you know, so fitting for a job like this to be alone in a hotel on a Tuesday night in Grand Junction. You know, it's not a job that really has created many social moments for me away from the ballpark. So it all kind of felt appropriate. I didn't do as much work as I usually did. I had actually bought a few, uh, few little bottles of alcohol, you know, just like the clean size bottles. And, uh, you know, just had a couple drinks and watched Brooklyn Nine-Nine because it was what, on, what was on the TV. Then later on, to the new Eminem album, sort of as I do on my free time, and just tried to let my mind go and uh, say, hey, you did it. And then wake up real early the next day and fly home, and here I am now. So yeah. there's a lot more to say. Right. 
That sounds ex exactly appropriate. Like if we could be scripting how that scene would go, the fact that the Eminem album was in there, uh, the fact that it was, a, a, you know, hotel room by yourself and, and not like a big city in Grand Junction, Colorado, uh, just seems so perfect. Um, but obviously upon this journey, upon completing it, uh, we've talked about this either on the podcast, off the podcast, whatever. A lot of people have questions for you. What was your favorite thing? What was your, uh, you know, least favorite park, whatever. I don't want to touch on that too much. Um, I want to kind of stay away from that, but for anybody trying to start their own journey, uh, for this, you know, people, certain people just want to hit all the parks in the Midwest league or want to hit every park in the state of Florida, something like that. Uh, what kind of advice would you have for somebody who is looking to get, you know, their own, been everywhere for lack of a, a better hashtag uh for getting that journey started on their own well you know i think for one it's not a competition i think when, when you do anything you know and i hit this milestone and people are like oh life goals and some people kind of like oh i wish i had the resources to do that and you know i kind of like look this is my job and i did it over a long time and I think it's important to get out of your own head with like, well, I've only been to four places. Why bother? You know, this is an incremental thing and above and beyond, it's just about you, whoever you may be and the way you want to do it. So I would say, don't get caught up with how overwhelming the entire landscape is. Don't get caught up with the way I or anyone else has done it. And just think to yourself, if I have the resources to travel at all, where would I like to go and why? And you could do that, you know, within the affiliates of your favorite team or a particular region of the country or just pick something random and then devise an itinerary from there. But I think the main thing is, is just to look at your own interests beyond baseball and your own resources and just have as much fun as you can, because that's what this is about at the end of the day. I mean, yes, it's my job and it's our job. You know, you guys to work in baseball and to cover baseball. But from the fan perspective, it's just about having fun and that's it. So with everything else aside, I think what's going to give you the most joy and pleasure, do it incrementally. Don't think about what anyone else is doing and just have fun uh, within the context that you can have fun. And I think that's really uh, what it is. Like Sam said, I think it's probably impossible to ask you anything like, what's your favorite? What's the, the one that has stood out most to you? But if you, I'm sure there are some aspects of certain ballparks that stand out, little features, things that you liked about a concourse or a, the way a Hall of Fame was presented in a certain park or what you like for an outfield view or something. Is there, are there some things that, that really stick out in your mind as, yeah, this is my favorite little thing from these stadiums across the country? I mean, so many. Um, actually, one of the things I did uh, last month uh, was, you know, I went through all my pictures and videos from all the trips and kind of did make some categorical, not quite rankings, but picked favorites in different categories. Um, we, I decided to hold off on that until I completed everything and things slowed down a little. So, yeah, I will have some categorical listings with things. Um, but that's the number one question I get, you know, when people find out what I do for a living. Like, oh, what's your favorite ballpark? So I've become very well-versed with that answer um, and, you know, trying my best to talk about my favorite within various categories. Uh, but, you know, as you guys know, it's, you know, 159 ballparks, 160 teams. I've been to 172 ballparks, including defunct ones. It can be tough to, you know, just on the fly, just you know, break through all that clutter in my mind and, and have ones rise to the top. So, you know, off the top of my head, 
it really depends. I give different answers on different days. Um, so there's been all sorts of things that have stood out. You know, with newer ballparks, you know, I think of the Charlotte skyline, you know, at their facility and just how gorgeous that is for an urban setting um, or how it was in El Paso. I was just so taken with it being a literal border town and seeing Juarez right across behind the ballpark, you know, not far away, but literally right there. And um, then I, I love too, or almost more, you know, your rookie level or short season teams that uh, really don't have much bells and whistles to have really down home intimate environments that is just seem like such throwbacks and especially in the Appy league going to places like Bluefield or Bristol or something like that. So, you know, I can go down so many tangents and, uh, I'll try to keep this particular answer not much more longer than that. But, um, you know, throughout the offseason, there'll be a lot of time to reflect and, uh, you know, and put out some, again, not quite rankings, but share some of my favorite things. And, and also, I always enjoy hearing from people. I want what I've done not just to be about me, but to be about everyone who enjoys this sort of thing to share their own experiences and to learn from what I've done to maybe enhance the experiences they're going to have. All right, so I'll put it this way then. Not necessarily your favorite, um, but if you could, now that the slate is clean again, because when you started this journey a couple of years ago, it was probably all about just what made sense logistically and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but now, you know, let's say you're back at zero, you have all the knowledge that you do have uh, going into 2019 or just anybody who hasn't been to a minor league park yet and theoretically we're trying to get to 159 where would you start and where would you end if you were having to start park 150 or park one to 159 where would you what would be the first stadium you want to see and the last stadium you want to see wow that's a that's a, a tough question um you know i would probably start more broadly speaking, in the Carolinas, North and South Carolina. I mean, North Carolina in particular, I believe, has more ballparks than any other state and a lot of diversity in those ballparks. So I think right off the bat, to start, you know, maybe start with Durham because uh, you, you don't really have a more iconic franchise than the Durham Bulls. You can visit their old home, you know, Durham Bulls Athletic Park, and, uh, you know, see where the movie was, you know, what, what inspired the movie and everything, but also see their new park. Uh, is a great example of what a current, you know, high-level AAA facility is. And then literally the next day you could go to Burlington and see a Appalachian League ballpark. And then just within less than 24 hours, you could run the gamut between high A or between AAA and rookie. Um, so I think that might be a good starting point. And then it's just a great starting point for a trip uh, where you can pack a lot in in a short amount of time. And then to end, you know what I'd probably do? is you know pacific northwest is obviously one of the most beautiful parts of the country i love it every time i'm out there i think to end maybe i'd end in vancouver to finally of the 160 teams 159 ballparks uh there's only one in canada so i think it might be good to you know save the border crossing to the very end you know go international with it and uh, see the canadians and that is a beautiful city vancouver and a great ballpark in that Bailey. Um, you know, great old stadium with you know, really committed fans and a great energy and atmosphere. And I think that'd be a, a great way to close it out. 
He is Benjamin Hill. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. You can check out and dating back for years now. You can look back on all the ballparks that Ben has visited and uh, a lot of content still coming up to the site. Um, and uh, Ben, congratulations, man. One hell of a, a body of work and uh, just start it all over again now. Now you can do 159. You can do them in reverse order or something. I think I'm going to do alphabetical next. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Like Aberdeen, you're up. Yeah, you have to wait yeah. until the season starts, but otherwise. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll always find it flaws in my otherwise impeccable logic. I get it. But, um, yeah, yeah. What's next? Who knows? But right now, you know, <laughs> you're soaking this one for a while. And as you mentioned, there's a lot more to come, just both with things, especially on the blog. Got a lot more in-season material to come. And uh, if you go to my blog, the ballpark visits tab right on the homepage and every on the road post is there. You can also search for any team and see everything I've done there. So if you want to get, you know, any information related to anything in the minor league landscape, uh, I think it's a good place to do it. You can see weird pictures of me and Ben from seven years ago. If you're so inclined, you can find it all the blog. It's bensbiz.mlblogs.com. Congratulations, Ben. Thanks. Thank you guys. Big thanks to Benjamin Hill again. He's on Twitter at Ben's Biz, and the blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And uh, this weekend, the playoffs continue in earnest throughout the minor leagues. It's tough for us to pick MILB.TV games um, for the weekend because some of these series might already be wrapped up by the weekend. Uh, but there are a lot of prospects who are uh, trying to play for some hardware and some big things here over the next few weeks, Sam. This is uh, it's a fun time of year. Yeah, for sure. If I was to tell you guys to watch one game uh, that we definitely know is happening, hopefully you guys can listen to this beforehand. Um, but on Friday in game three of the Texas League semis, Forrest Whitley is actually coming back. Uh, didn't talk to talk about him too much in the AFL segment. Uh, he has been dealing with a lat issue that put him on the DL. The Astros have taken him off. He's back with Corpus Christi now. Uh, so this will be kind of a fall league preview if you don't care so much about the Texas League playoffs. Um, but at any chance you get to watch one of the game's top right-handed pitching prospects, you should absolutely do so. Uh, so he, he's playing. In, he's scheduled to pitch Friday in Game 3 of that Texas League semis. It's a best of five, so Game 3 will happen no matter what. Uh, you're going to want to watch him regardless, but also that San Antonio lineup is pretty loaded in itself. Uh, Buddy Reed will be there, another Futures game player. Josh Naylor, uh, Hudson Potts are all on, on that San Antonio roster. And as we've said all season long, uh, Padre system is pretty loaded top to bottom, so you're always going to find somebody interesting to watch on any of the, their affiliates. Um, but seeing them go up against Forrest Whitley in a big playoff game uh, should be really exciting so you know consult the site We're, we'll have updates obviously on every playoff series uh, you know ones that are on MILB TV ones that aren't uh, see where things kind of stand you'll definitely want to watch the finals as those start to pick up uh, especially at the higher levels but uh, if I had to pick one game to watch this weekend it would be Whitley versus San Antonio on Friday and that will do it for episode number 176 of the show before the show podcast. You can find Sam on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykes or MILB. Benjamin Hill is at Ben's Biz. I'm at Tyler Mon. You can get in touch with us. Podcast at MILB.com. And uh, playoffs continue this weekend. We'll be back to break it all down next week. And we'll talk to you then. Yeah.